This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and once in a while, something happens in the news that actually relates to the thing that we do for a living, and whenever that happens, uh, I feel compelled to speak with Rachel Sass about it. So, Rachel, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's not much that, like you said, this this doesn't happen a lot, and it's exciting. It's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, every now and then something happens, and it's like you can relate to other humans in the world because- mm-hmm. You know, you have something to tie it to that they might be familiar with. Yeah. You hear about that news story? Yeah, I do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what I do. Yeah, <laughs> we think about that. <laughs> so the news story uh, for anybody who hasn't heard or hasn't guessed is that very recently, the founder of the clothing slash outfitting um, company, Patagonia, uh, decided that he was going to give away his stake in the company. Uh, mostly to a nonprofit entity, and then a part of it, which actually represents, I believe, the voting stock of the company uh, into a particular trust. And this made a lot of news because the purpose of the nonprofit and the trust is to support climate change initiatives. Although I think it probably would be, I mean, from what I'm reading, no, we don't really know 100%, but from what they're saying in the media, it actually does appear that it could be a bit broader than just climate change. But that was sort of the headline maker was that he had given away uh, his company to a nonprofit. Exactly. And I think the biggest part of the headlines, right, is that he escaped hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And oh, man, oh, another yes. we- another wealthy person just escaped taxes. And how do they do it? That's the attention grabber right there. Yeah, it's funny because I get the question all the time from clients about estate taxes and how do we get around these estate taxes? And I always tell them, uh, you could just give all your money to charity mm-hmm. and then you don't have to pay any estate tax. That's the way the that's with the way the, the rules work. They're written that way. Nobody's taken me up on that yet, by the way. <laughs> I guess someday. I didn't sell it very well. <laughs> someday. Yeah, someday, someday. Well, so, I think it's okay, important. so let's break this down. Yeah, oh, yeah well, ahead, I think it's important to note too that, I mean, in all these cases, we're not escaping all taxes. I think that's important little asterisk yeah. to put on this, right? Like there there are taxes that are going to be paid. We're just escaping a lot of taxes. Right. I'm assuming that he has retained enough to live quite comfortably even after having made this transfer. Uh, so I, I am not getting the sense that he has impoverished himself and he's going to live the life of a nomad or he's going to be in some monastery somewhere swearing off material things forever. I don't think that's the case. But um and as is typically the case for somebody in a position like his, he has he has benefited from the profits of the company personally for long enough that he's amassed probably a substantial amount of money for himself and his family. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So how do you want to break this down? Well I thought maybe we should uh we should break down a little bit the transaction, the pieces of the transaction, and then maybe explain a couple of the the background things and we can speculate a bit on how exactly they're doing it because we don't have every single bit of information. 
but um, the big bulk of the shares in the company were given to a nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit is structured as a 501c4 nonprofit. At least that's what it appears from what they're saying in the media. Um, people might be familiar with 501c4s because these are the types of um, entities that are used for political action committees and a lot of the sort of politically motivated um, nonprofits that are out there. So the speculation was that, well, perhaps this is going to be a place where they're going to amass profits from the company and then they're going to use those profits to influence legislation and political campaigns, although that's not specifically uh, what they have said in the media is the primary focus of this nonprofit, but it is a nonprofit entity. Exactly. Yeah. I think they're estimating like 98% of the company, the non-voting stock in the company is going to this 501c4 hold fast collective. And um, it's it's interesting, you know, the, the bulk of the company going to this, you know, like you said earlier, when we tell clients, how do you avoid taxes? Give money to charity. So here it's great, right? He is not going to have to be paying capital gains tax like as if he sold his company, right? If he had sold it to a third party buyer, there would be a huge capital gains because, of course, his company has just exponentially increased in value over the years. Um, however, he doesn't receive the income tax deductions like a typical 501c3 nonprofit. And so that is just a good little kind of tidbit there to keep in mind is we're not just typically seeing this like a, a normal charitable deduction like a lot of clients do. Exactly. So this is not an income tax play per se. So he wasn't he wasn't looking for an opportunity to get an income tax charitable deduction. Although, to your point, if, for example, um, the the 501c3 was to later sell off shares of stock, it itself is tax exempt, so it will not pay capital gains. There was um, there was some talk in some of the news articles suggesting that he and his team had had thought about the idea of selling off the company, paying capital gains tax and then taking the balance from what they got uh, from the sale and then using that to fund these these charitable ventures. Um, but apparently that wasn't what they wanted to do. There there was also some quotes that I saw from people from his team saying that, well, tax savings was not the primary motivator here. That might be true, but I can only assume that the tax aspects to this were important as well because you want to do it efficiently. And apparently not everybody wants to write an invest check to the federal government for taxes, including people who want to do good in the world. So um, that's not a knock on him. That's just that's just the fact they use the tax code to their advantage as they're entitled to do. There's an interesting little tidbit um, with these 501c4. So you don't get a deduction for uh, for income taxes. You also do not get a deduction for gift taxes for giving stock or any donations to a 501c4. Instead, the gift is entirely excluded from gift taxes. So you're not relying on a deduction to get out from underneath gift taxes. There's a there's a total exclusion for gifts to 501c4s, 5s, and 6s um, from the gift tax. Interestingly enough, that was an exclusion that was added to the tax code by the well-known right-winger Barack Obama in 2015. So you can thank the Democratic Party for this little area of the tax code. But that that change was really to clarify what for a long time was a, a, a little bit of a, a gray area. But it is the it is the case 
that you can give to these organizations. You're not going to get an income tax deduction, but it is completely excluded from gift tax. So it's a pretty big hole. If you want to think of it as a loophole, I guess uh, it's a pretty big. I don't think it really is a loophole. It's intended, um, but it is a pretty big hole in the tax code that allows you to do these transactions on a gift tax free basis. Yeah. So that's definitely a, the, a big thing to keep in mind when you're looking at how to do these transactions tax efficiently. And then, of course, the other main thing that we're looking at and how when we're talking about how um, he can escape taxes is, of course, now he's gifted this away. The company is out of his name. It's no longer going to be part of his estate for federal estate tax purposes. Um, and of course, we remember that, you know, our uh, federal estate gift tax exemptions amount, we're getting close. I think what we're in the 12 millions now with inflation. I just keep seeing these numbers rise and rise. So like, wasn't it going to be 12.9 next year already? That's it's, what they're saying. Yeah. 12.92 yeah. to be yeah. exact. Yeah. So his company, well over the $12.92 million mark. Um, So getting this, gifting this out of his estate is definitely going to help him um, reduce his taxable estate for that purposes. Of course, like you mentioned earlier, Brent, he has amassed a considerable amount of wealth over his years with this uh, company. So, you know, whether or not he has a taxable estate, we don't know. We're not seeing any of that information. Um, but being able to get this company out of his estate is definitely going to help hopefully prevent any um, estate taxes in the future. It will, I'm sure. Uh, the estimates that I have seen is that the company is worth something like $3 billion. So uh, I don't know if his stake in the company is quite worth that amount, but the company overall has that valuation. And so that's a sizable chunk of change to be paying 40 cents on the dollar for estate taxes. Um, there is there is a separate part of the transaction, which is 2% going into a trust, the Patagonia Purpose Trust. Um, and that 2% represents the voting stock uh, of the company. And so this trust, by controlling the voting stock, will then be able to control the members of the board, which then sets the policies uh, for the company, which... I'm assuming the the thinking is if they've structured the trust in a way that makes it clear what the purpose of the trust uh, is for, will ensure that the board will always match that purpose. So if there's a if there's a sort of charitable or social welfare purpose in that trust, then the board is always going to reflect that going forward. Yeah, and it looks like in this case, what he what, what people are speculating for the Patagonia Purpose Trust is that. He's going to have a board of trustees, like you said, and so this is a great way to ensure that his family still has a, a stake, basically, in the company and can ensure management of the company, how to have that succession line, which is a really great way for uh, owners of companies where you want to step away from the company, but you're still going to be partly involved in the company. Here's a great way if you wanted to get, say, your children involved, other family members involved, or just, you know, maybe just slowly start chipping away, you know. This year, your kids will be involved. Maybe they don't want to be involved forever. So then you've got a succession line going. So it's a really great way mm-hmm. to ensure that your wishes are still going to be fulfilled in the future, um, but you're able to get the freedom of retirement or making sure that the company goes on to do, to do other things that um, without you. And I think it's really interesting with the Patagonia Purpose Trust. So uh, these purpose trusts, like you said, it's for a, a purpose. We don't have a beneficiary, right? In a typical trust scenario, we have beneficiaries of a trust, an actual ascertainable person. Um, but with a purpose trust, you don't have to have that. You can have non-ascertainable beneficiaries, and it could be selected your, by your trustee. And you can actually do this 
in Arizona. Um, our statue, for any of the geeks out there, it's um, ARS 14-10409. Um, you can do this. And a lot of people see these types of trusts for their pets, um, where you your pets, you know, of course, they're, they're for babies, everyone, but they are not an ascertainable person. And so you can create a, a trust for your pet. So this is how you could do it. It's just a purpose. Your trust is for this purpose. And so here, we have this purpose trust, which is, you know, hopefully to ensure the succession of this company, to promote, uh, you know, climate change goals, all this good stuff that he wants to do. Um, and his board of trustees can kind of create that, um, uh, follow the line of the purpose and the trust and really make sure its wishes are being fulfilled. So it's a really mm -hmm. great option. And I think a lot of people don't really think about it. Um, so I think it's a really great um Great thing that we're seeing this come to the news and to the spotlight, because I think a lot more people are going to start thinking about using these types of trusts um, in their overall estate planning. Yeah, it's a good point. And there's there is a in the Arizona statute, there's a time limit on those trusts. So you can have the trust for some purpose and it's it's really supposed to be used just for that purpose. In fact, you can select the person or the group of people who are tasked with enforcing the trust like to make sure that the trust actually does what it's supposed to do. But there's a time limit of 90 years. So after 90 years, at least under our statute, um, that's when the trust basically ends. And there isn't um, there isn't any indication in the news about what is the term of the trust, how long does it last, who exactly is is the trustee, you know, what are what are precisely the terms of the trust, what happens when the trust ends. What is supposed to happen, you know, what's supposed to happen to the assets. It could be that when the trust ends, that those voting shares then go into the 501c4 um, or some other uh, entity that's been set up to receive those shares. But if you think about what you were mentioning earlier, Rachel, on the like succession planning side and the family side of things, 90 years is a long time. That's basically two generations. So, uh, you know, if, if he is interested in keeping that family legacy going, for a long period of time, two generations after you go is a pretty good long run for the family to control things. So maybe if it does have a, t a 90 year, excuse me, a 90 year horizon, um, then it's not as it's really not a big deal uh, because they're going to get to the end of 90 years. That's after two generations. Maybe there'll be something else to worry about at that point and they'll pivot. Who knows? So it's a really interesting little it's a really interesting structure. I think you're right that people are going to be more keyed into this, although I have a slight caveat to that, uh, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I completely agree. I think we've seen these types of purpose trusts um, in in other areas of people's life. I've seen like with pet trusts, things like I feel like they're they're very popular in that sense. But to really view it as the terms of this is how we create succession for a family business, I think that's definitely where we're going to see an increase in popularity. Yeah. Okay. So here's my caveat. This is the this is the cynical side. So there is there is a principle that is based that's kind of built into corporate rules and corporate laws that basically says that the purpose of corporations is to make profits. That's why they exist. And so if you have a corporation and its purpose is to create profits to fund, say, charitable activities, is that really consistent with the purposes that are built into the corporate? rules. And I'm sure that they thought through this issue. I'm, it's just not clear to me in the news exactly how they thought through that particular issue. So there are there are news clippings of him. This is like in the past 
there are news clippings of him basically saying that, well, corporation, people who run corporation should not view the corporation's purpose as maximizing profits and creating profits. It should be something else. But that is sort of baked into corporate law. So I'm not really sure how they're getting around that in particular. And if you have an organization that is profitable, which apparently this one is quite profitable, and it does compensate people for their services, you know, are you really going to be able to uh, prevent yourself from doing things that will maximize profitability that is is incentivizing and helping people who are in the business and maybe are being issued uh, stock options and restricted stock and things like that to compensate them. You know, you just I just sort of wonder about that structure and some of those conflicts that were you might be slightly at cross purposes. Uh, I'm sure they had to work through all these issues when they were doing this planning, though. I can see that. No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point that you bring up. I'm trying to think through that now in my head and how they've done it. I think, I don't know, if I were to guess, I would think, you know, Patagonia being a very much outdoorsy company, right? I'm going to spend $100 on a nice little rain jacket. Um, you know, I want a good environment, right? And I want to make sure that the environment is taken care of and da-da-da so I can continue to buy $100 rain jackets. So, I don't know, maybe if the goals are aligned so much like that, you know, right? If, if yeah. your, your your charitable goals really align with your company goals, maybe that's how you could. I'm sure there's plenty of other reasons they've come up with, but that's I what think, I No, I think right you're now. right. No, I do think you're right. I think that's I think that's probably it. If I was speculating... I don't have any sort of insider knowledge, so nobody take this as gospel. But <laughs> yeah. if I was speculating, I would I would assume that that was basically true and that that's the way that the company has been run to this point. And the only the only other thing that I was thinking about was, you know, if you have so let, let's say now your major shareholder is a nonprofit and then your major voting shareholder is a trust that's set up to basically support the nonprofit purpose. Um that doesn't mean that the company isn't structured to create profits for those shareholders. It's just that when the shareholders receive the profits, they're going to spend it on social good, we'll mm-hmm. say. Um, so maybe that from that perspective, um, it, it could be, again, I'm speculating here because I don't know, but maybe from that perspective, they actually thought that the way that they were operating the company already, which had this sort of altruistic bend to it, is more aligned now that the shareholders are not individuals and now they're they're faceless organizations, so to speak. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's a really, really interesting structure. I don't think it's for everybody and I don't think everybody should try this, but I think it's a really interesting structure for the right kind of person and you do not need a $3 billion company to do it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think in this case, right, it, it fits, like you said, where your company already is founded in these altruistic values. Yeah. Um, that it, I think it's a really great way to go. Um, and ultimately, like you're saying, there's a lot of news clips where he never truly wanted to create this, you know, multi-billion dollar company. He really mm-hmm. just wanted, he was a very outdoorsy person and just really wanted to to kind of create that spirit in his company. And so I think if anyone has a company like that, right, where that's just kind of your your base values, and this could be a good option. But like you said, yeah. could that be for everyone, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. There's one other 
uh, I think counterpoints counter not necessarily counterpoint, but maybe counter example. So you might remember a number of years ago, Mark Zuckerberg and his spouse made headlines by dropping a bunch of Facebook stock into a quote unquote nonprofit. Well, it wasn't really a nonprofit. It was like an it was an LLC that wasn't actually structured as a nonprofit. And I think the the thinking was that if they did that, they could maintain more control and they'd have more flexibility on how they used the funds that were inside of that entity, but they were in some ways sort of getting rid of shares. I'm pointing that out only to point out because I know there's been some stuff in the media about like, you know, this is another of a line of billionaires who are giving away their companies for, you know, some social good. These things come in many different varieties as as many different varieties as there are billionaires, although that probably doesn't sound like a lot of different varieties, but as many different varieties as there are people willing to do these things. Um, these sorts of transactions come in those varieties to varying degrees of effectiveness. And whether this versus the Zuckerberg versus some other variety is, in fact, the effective way to do it is in the eye of the beholder, I think, in some ways. Um, but this is just one example of a way that it can be done. And it's a very interesting example. Yeah, I think that's a really good point when we're really thinking about business succession planning. A lot of clients, their focus is either keeping the business in the family or, you know, whatever the next stage is for for your company. And it really just depends on your ultimate goals. And it there's there's so many different ways and different paths to reaching those goals. And especially if there's charitable intent and you can achieve a lot of those and you can still do it in a very tax efficient manner. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Never forget the tax efficient manner. Yes. <laughs> like you said, never do something because it's nice. Yeah, it's it's not going to be your 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 primary goal. Right. But hey, if we could do it in a tax efficient manner, all the better. That's just the, the cherry on top. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, Rachel, as usual, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's always fun. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.